Welcome to episode 234 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anybody else that likes going out under the stars. And, and this week we have a special guest who, who loves going out under the stars as well. And uh, we'll uh, we'll introduce him in a moment. But uh, but first, Shane, we have a couple of thank yous to send out to a couple of supporters. Yeah, we have two new Patreon supporters. So uh, thank you to Blake and Mike S. Uh, we really appreciate your support. And as always, thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Um, we, we really appreciate it. It does help us to uh, fund some of the expenses associated with the podcast and just keep it going. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, folks. And just as a note, uh, this uh, this summer you'll notice I'll have quite a bit better sound. And the reason for that is to is to thank our Patreon donors, and and because of that, I was able to uh, to upgrade some of the equipment here. So thank you so much. So today we have a special guest star, uh, Brian Ventrudo. He is uh, he's a writer and a contributor to astronomy magazines like Sky News. Uh, here in Canada, as well as Sky and Telescope. I first knew Brian as the one-minute astronomer, and he is now the creator of CosmicPursuits.com, which is a site focused on stargazing astronomy with small telescopes and binoculars, as well as some other gear. I know he has a 10-inch dob. Um, he received his first telescope when he was five years old, and that was formative to his path, uh, eventually leading to a PhD in laser spectroscopy, um, where he studied the spectral fingerprints of simple molecules in space uh, and in the atmosphere of other planets. But uh, after a 20-year break from stargazing, he was uh, re-inspired by Timothy Ferris' Seeing in the Dark, uh, and he also had a chance encounter with Al Nagler, uh, and, and both of those things hooked him back on stargazing once more. Uh, so I have to say this, uh, this past week, Brian, uh, actually I was talking to some listeners, and I had recommended Seeing in the Dark, and uh, as something uh, that, that might help re-inspire them to, to get back into astronomy. So uh, yeah, I really liked when I, when I saw that in your bio as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's great to be here, Chris. Excellent. And we, we first met up at the Jasper Dark Sky Festival. You were, you were a speaker and I think you were doing some sky tours that night as well. That's right, yeah, that was the Jasper Dark Sky Festival. And I think it was October, 2014 we met. And yeah. we had to do. I think all of all of the all of the speakers had to do a little sky tour on the Friday night, and then we gave a longer talk on the Saturday afternoon. That's right. Yeah. It yeah. A, it was great. The weather was great that year. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, really enjoyable. And uh, and at that time, you were um, you were the creator of of the one minute astronomer material. And, uh, and now you've switched over to CosmicPursuits.com. And so maybe we'll start uh, here, Brian. Like I said, we're, we're fairly informal, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about Cosmic Pursuits and, uh, you know, and sort of your, your outputs for astronomy? Sure, sure. So, yeah, my first site, One Minute Astronomer, which is still up there. It's still on the Internet. It was, uh, you know, as you might get from the name, it was short articles and um short little bits of information for people who knew about stargazing or who wanted to get into it. Um, that form was a little bit restrictive. I mean, you can only make an article so long if you expect someone to read it in a minute or two. <laughs> so um, I made a second website, Cosmic Pursuits, and that's the active one right now. So that website, um, again, it's it's the same idea. It, uh, um, you know, the first tagline of it was insight and inspiration for, for stargazers. Um, so yeah, it's it's aimed for for people who are armchair astronomers or maybe aspiring to uh, get their first telescope or pair of binoculars, and uh, even for more experienced people who are you know looking for ideas of things to see in the sky, the odd equipment review that sort of thing. So the way it works now is that I send out um, a monthly email to any subscribers to the email list, and they'll get um, you know four or five or six little nuggets of information that are either from around the web or that I publish on on the website, plus a little update about, you know, like what's up in the sky this month, what to look for, that sort of thing. Yeah, very cool. And I, I've also enjoyed your, uh, your, your frequent contributor to the Sky News and, and Sky and Telescope magazines. And uh, and I, I've really enjoyed those, uh, those articles you've put out there as well, because I think we actually have a lot of the same interest in astronomy and the history um, of astronomy and then sort of how that links into the to the stars you see in the nighttime sky. So I really enjoy your perspective. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's really good. Um, let's see. So um, 
I was going to ask you something. Else. Oh, I was going to say, I had to say this, is that so I teach um, just for fun. They're not uh, credit courses, but just uh, for fun courses at the University of Regina. I, and I think I was doing this w- when you and I met before. Um, and then and then since that time, I, I, I have to divulge that I do use your material a fair bit when I'm when I'm designing my courses, simply because when I'm doing web searches for the type of material that I'm looking for, it actually lands on your web pages quite a bit, Brian. <laughs> Well, that's good to know. I guess SEO actually works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really good, really good. Sorry, Shane. Did you uh, did you want to chime in with anything or? Well, um, yeah, maybe. Uh, should we roll into some questions? I guess. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that our podcast has sort of become, I guess, famous or in- infamous, uh, and it's unintended, is, is our our love of small telescope observing. Um, you know, Chris and I typically observe with what, you know, is relatively small, I guess, in the hobby. And, uh, you know, it ranges from 50 millimeter to typically 100 millimeter uh, refractors. Um, but on your website, you have a, a four volume ebook uh, uh, called What to See in a Small Telescope. Um, can you tell us about that? I'm super intrigued by it. And, you know, largely because I use small telescopes. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was a series I, I wrote maybe uh, 10, 10 years ago. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it was based on my own observing notes over the years and also things that I learned about as I went, right? And in many ways, my first website was part of me getting back into astronomy and learning about it. So as I went to, to see things, you know, in the night sky through the four seasons, I'd make notes about them and uh, eventually compile them into into this book for for my readers and it's usually meant you know it's meant for someone who might have their first telescope you know four or five inch three inch telescope or whatever six inch and they want to know what to see you know they've heard about the big things mm-hmm. and you know orion nebula m31 and so forth but these include a lot of other things double stars um, you know fainter star clusters so it kind of takes a person into the into the next phase of stargazing and, you know, even some of my subscribers with very experienced people with big Dobsonians, they uh, they got this ebook and they say, yeah, it's, it's great, you know, like I don't need to, if I've got some people over to look through my telescope, I just look at your guide and, you know, I've got a few things to see for the night. So it's not something like, um, you know, what's the book called? The Night Sky Observer's Guide, you know, which has things for 12 and 16 inch telescopes. This is more of a, a beginner's thing, you know, beginner to intermediate stargazing. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, that, you know, as a small telescope observer, I do find it a little challenging to find guides catered for smaller apertures. Um, you know, to your point, there's a lot of uh, material out there for like 12 inch and larger apertures, which, um, you know, there's certainly, there's a number of people in the hobby that have that, but I would imagine the population of smaller telescopes is is larger. Um, so I think it's awesome that that's out there. And that's yeah. just available on your website, cosmicpursuits.com, I believe. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I think I was cutting you off there, Brian. No, that that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, small telescopes, you know, I, I've, I've been following the, the back the back list of your podcast and you guys are small refractor guys and I have become that too, right? So, okay. I mean, I've always wanted a big telescope and, you know, I go to the star parties and see guys with, you know, 18 inch daubs and, you know, watch them talk to them as they're setting it up for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, they tell me, yeah, I had to buy a bigger, bigger truck to put, to put the telescope in the back. And I thought, oh man, that's a lot of money, a lot of money and a lot of time. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess about five or six years ago, I picked up a Teleview 85, right? An 85 millimeter refractor, took it out to dark sky. And I thought, wow, I can see a lot of stuff with this. Mm-hmm. And so I've kind of stuck with small telescopes ever since then. Even wrote a couple of uh, articles for Sky and Telescope um, for things to see um, in the winter sky and the summer sky that actually look better, arguably, in a small telescope than they do in a big telescope. Yeah, so I'm I'm hooked on small refractors for sure. I'm oh, one wow. of you. I'm one of you. <laughs> Good, excellent. He's he's had the he's had the copy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I meant to ask you this when we were corresponding before before we uh, we were doing the recording, but uh, but hey, why not ask you in the show? Um, when did those articles come out, Brian? Were they were they in the past year? 
Where were they last? Um, so small, small scope summer and sky and telescope came out, I think in August, 2019. Okay. And then small scope winter came out last December. So December, 2021. Yeah. Cause I, I had renewed in, uh, in the fall of last year. And then I, I actually have a couple of copies of that one. So I, I saw the winter one. So I thought, well, the summer one must've been just before, but I guess it was about a year or two before. So yeah, yeah about a year and a half before I wrote that one when I lived in uh, Washington, DC. So I was a little further South and got to see some, you know, cool stuff skimming the Southern horizon. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So that was fun. I hear, I hear Washington can be a, a, doesn't have the best weather for doing astronomy from what I've been able to get there. <laughs> you know, that, that it's it's pretty humid there and hot in the summer, but yeah. surprisingly, it, it will get uh, one or two clear nights a week that are pretty usable. The transparency really? is not great, but if you get out of the city, I went to a couple of club sites in northern Virginia, and the sky was actually pretty good. Huh. Yeah, because there's a lot of light pollution over on the uh, over on the east coast as well. I know. I, I know. Yeah, well, I mean, so. it's yeah, it's a big megalopolis. Like Washington's probably the, the metro area has probably got six million people, but you know, it goes you go south and west of town, and you can uh, you know get a view of the south and southwestern sky. It was great. Scorpius, cool. Sagittarius, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Sorry, Shane. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. Um, uh, you mentioned, um, Brian, that you use a Teleview 85. Is that your main refractor or what other, what other gear are you using right now to observe with? Yeah, so, so my gateway drug to that was just a little um, 66 millimeter apochromatic refractor from Astrotech, oh, yeah. the, the AT66ED, which I probably got, I don't know, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. I took one look through that thing and the, you know, the stars were just pinpoint and you know the, the contrast was fantastic and i thought okay nice telescope i still have it i want a bigger one <laughs> yep. so yeah i've got a hundred i've got a hundred millimeter uh, uh stellar view and then the teleview 85 is my main one i use that for astrophotography and visual it's a little more portable and then yeah. i also went a little crazy and uh i'm checking out a hundred millimeter binocular telescope from apm the 100 millimeter sds yeah uh, oh, i guess wow. i guess like you guys you know two eyes is better than one it just mm -hmm. it makes such a difference to look with two eyes so yeah i thought what the heck how long how so do you own that now the the binoscope yeah yeah wow how long have you had that for not long and i haven't used it much so i got it in the winter to test out okay uh, to do a review of and then i thought well you know i could probably hang on to this thing <laughs> but, <laughs> then the, the spring the spring weather came came through and it got cloudy and now you know it's hardly dark at all you know where we yeah. live mm -hmm. north of the yeah. 49th parallel so so i'm looking forward to late summer and cruising the milky way and that but i've had it out a few times it's nice wow i and i'm I, super intrigued I, by that when i first got it i had a look at the the pleiades right mm -hmm. so i aimed it at the pleiades look through one eye look through the other eye ah that's nice and then look through both eyes and oh my god like what a difference it's just fantastic wow um prior to the binoscope have you done bino viewing like just using a bino viewer yeah yeah i had um i started with a william optics bino viewer which i still mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. and um it had a, a limited um clear aperture yep. so i upgraded to uh, a denkmeyer with a power power switch and i use that with my 10 inch top and again it was fantastic so you don't get much vignetting with 24 millimeter pan optics uh, mm -hmm. you know just a beautiful view i had to upgrade the folk i had to upgrade the focuser to the dobsonian right you buy one thing <laughs> and then you have to buy another thing yeah, yeah. It's, it's never as easy as you want it to be right it's like somebody thought this out right yeah, yeah what, do you, what do you mean sky watcher can't hold a three pound binoscope and two eyepieces <laughs> yeah. but yeah. um yeah, I sold that. I don't use it anymore, but I still use the William Optics binos, mostly for solar and lunar. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. really great. Mm -hmm. So what I'm very intrigued with, so probably around the same time frame, over the winter, I was really debating uh, a binoscope, uh, the exact one that you ended up with, the 100 millimeter APM SD, um, mm -hmm. or do I get a bino viewer? Um, so I settled on the bino viewer. Um, 
And I'm kind of, I'm not regretting it, but I have this itch that's not going away to discover the Binoscope and see how much I like that in comparison to the Bino Viewer. Because uh, like you mentioned, using two eyes is just a game changer for me uh, in terms of comfort. And I feel like I can just see so much more because I can essentially be at the eyepiece for like 30 minutes without looking away and it's super comfortable. So it's just right. an incredible experience. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I was thinking of a you know a six inch or a five inch refractor and a bino viewer, mm -hmm. and I haven't compared them side by side. Uh, the bino scope's a little awkward and heavy to mount. You know, I've got to slide it up onto the onto the dovetail. I've got the APM fork mount, which is right. a little jiggly, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. um, there's a there's a little false color. I mean, these are it's an SD. It's supposed to be the best corrected version. Yep. Uh, the binoscope, but there, you still see a little blue halo around the bright stars because it is as, you know, it's a 100 millimeter aperture and it is f 5.5. So, mm, pretty so the yeah. corrected optics can only do so much. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't, it's not great. It, it starts to suffer a little bit as you crank the magnification. So, I tend to use it with the 24 millimeters. I've got a pair of 9 millimeter D lights and I've tried it with a a pair of five millimeter um, eyepieces. And, you know, it the view isn't as good as maybe an F8 refractor with bino viewers, I would suspect. Mm -hmm. So this is more of a wide field instrument mm -hmm. than, you know, something you want to cruise the moon at high magnification with, I would say. Okay, so, good to so know. So there are trade-offs for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. I've, uh, like I say, I'm always intrigued with two eye observing now and, um, I'm trying to think, I don't believe I've ever looked through a binoscope. Um, once upon a time I was going to convert, uh, two 50 millimeter mini Borgs into a binoscope, but then I abandoned that project and sold one half of it to Chris. So <laughs> we now have matching mini Borgs. <laughs> yeah. I got mine right here. It's, it's mounted up on rings though. Oh, there we go. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that's nice. So that's Shane's other half. Yep, yep, there the we first, go. The first really good binoscope I ever looked looked through when I lived in Ottawa, I was out at the dark uh, the club site uh, west of Ottawa, and Glenn Glenn Ledrew was there. He's a well known amateur astronomer. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, on Friday nights he's uh, he's the one of the binocular gurus. Yeah, yeah, and he had made a pair. I don't know. They were, I don't know, seventy or eighty millimeters, and he was just aligning them and using them, and he gave them to me to sweep around the sky. And I, oh I thought, wow, oh, my God, these are fantastic. Wow. This is a long time ago, so it's been on my list for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've no, looked, that's, I've that's looked through the APM um, 100s when they first came out. They were they weren't the SDs. They were they were like the Gen the, ones, I think. Yeah. And um, let's see, they were the ones with the 45 degree um, eyepieces. Is this one one of the 45s or the 90s or? I've, I've got the 90s just because yeah. um, you know where I am, the good stuff tends to be overhead in the summer. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. there's stuff over the horizon. So yeah, I went for the 90s. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like I found that I was surprised at at the inconvenience of forty five degree binoculars. I thought, oh, this will be sort of, you know, pretty good because you'd be able to aim down low and then, you know, reason me up high. But I found that I'd almost rather look straight through than use a forty five. But I think yeah. the nineties, you know, it, you know, are definitely the way to go if if you're going to go to something like that. So yeah, that sounds yeah. really cool. Hey, I have to ask. So you've got the. Uh, the 24 millimeter um, eyepieces, I think you said the pan optics for those for wide field viewing. Have you tried uh, putting nebula filters in while you're using the 100 millimeter binoculars? Uh, I have, yeah. So I had, you know, I had a look at the, uh, the Sword of Orion. And okay. um, what have I got? I've got a pair of astronomic UHC filters, mostly for visual observing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, they might be a little narrow for that for that exit pupil, but you know, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, and some people I know they put uh, a filter on one eyepiece, but not the other. And they're mm -hmm. able to merge the images. So you get, you know, kind of the best and your brain can merge them. My brain can't do that yet. So I, <laughs> I, find, <laughs> I find it's better with either no filters or two filters. Oh, okay. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out you know, the Veil Nebula in the summer mm -hmm. and so forth. And, you know, cruising Sagittarius and serpents and so forth. So a lot of good, you know, a lot of nebula can fill that can fit in a two or three degree field of view. It'll be great. 
yeah, you should be able to get like the Lagoon and uh, and the Trifid. Uh, yeah. That that should that should easily fit within three degrees. And same with I think the uh, Eagle M16 and uh, the Swan M17. They should fit in the same field of view. Uh, yeah, that should sure. be spectacular. Yeah, oh, yeah, that should be yeah. really good. And the Sagittarius yeah. Star Cloud. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that would be beautiful through those. Yeah. Paul Nagler says that's his favorite object in the night sky is uh, M24, the small Sagittarius star cloud. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Hey, since since you mentioned Al Nagler, can you tell us about running running into him and uh, and about that oh, yeah. experience? Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. So that one that's one thing that helped me get back into astronomy, as you mentioned. So I was, um, you know, when I worked in the laser industry, I was at a laser trade show. I think it was in Chicago, in uh, probably 2007, maybe. And I was just starting to get interested in the stars again. And so, you know, there's like guys selling big lasers, hundreds of thousands of dollars and so forth. It's not really an amateur show. But, um, you know, I turned the corner and I saw this guy looking through a little white telescope. And I thought, that's El Nagler. <laughs> you know, Pretty unmistakable, eh? No, I knew him from the pictures and so forth. Like he yeah. was famous even back in the 80s, right? You know? Yeah. And he's really so, short compared to a 20 millimeter. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Remember they had the photo of him with the anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah. And he was looking, you know, he was looking through a, a little telescope. I don't know if it was an 85 or a hundred, one of, one of his refractors and staring at the wall. And I thought, what the heck is he doing? So I went up and introduced myself and said, yeah, I used to be an amateur astronomer. What are you doing? He said, I mounted a quarter up there, you know, for people like high up on, on the wall, you know, maybe, oh, wow. I don't know, 300 feet away. And he gave me a look at the quarter through the eyepiece. And I thought, wow, this is a really good telescope. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we talked for a bit and he told me about his eyepieces. And I had asked him if he's got anything, anything new in the works. Like, is there anything new, new you guys can make after a Nagler eyepiece? 82 degree field of view, he says. Yeah, we might have something in the works. <laughs> I don't know how many years later, not many, where the, the ethos came out, right? So I yeah. thought, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. It was very inspiring. Like, you could tell this is a guy who just just loves what he did, right? Like, he was just thrilled to talk about it and just loved his t telescopes and designing things. You know, it was a, a very inspiring yeah, cool. yeah, that's awesome. I, I've never met Al, but uh, have read many stories of engagements like that. He just seems to be a great ambassador of the hobby, in addition to being a great op optician, you know, making outstanding optics. So very, very cool. He got, he yeah, got some much. of my he got some of my money this week, but that's a very oh, did time, actually, yeah. <laughs> you tell. <laughs> yeah, I bought a, I bought a, I've never owned an Angler eyepiece before. I've, I've owned some Teleview eyepieces, and uh, actually the eyepieces... The, the optics I use the most from Teleview are the uh, Barlows. I really like the, yeah. the Barlows. I've always had the 2X Barlow on my kit since I started, and I bought a 3X last year. And uh, my friend Mike has the 20 millimeter Nagler, and I've tried to steal it from him a few times. Um, but as a glasses wear, it doesn't work quite as quite as good, so he keeps pulling it back. Um, so anyway, I, after, after five years of hemming and hawing, I, I decided to buy a 22 Nagler. So yeah, I'm pretty excited okay. about that. Yeah, yeah, they are they are pretty cool. The eye relief is a little restricted. I use mostly D lights now. Um, yep. With the um, um, the dioptrics, the um, oh, okay astigmatism corrector. Yep. How do you they, find they, that? They do help a little bit. I don't have a ton of astigmatism, but like when okay. I look when I look through the telescope, I can see that you know this should look better. Mm -hmm. And so when I put these on and fiddle with them a bit, yeah, it does help for sure. So, I mean, my astigmatisms, maybe one, one, one diopter for someone who has two or three, these would be, these would be a, a godsend for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting close to two in what, in my observing eye. And, uh, like if I take my glasses off and observe it's there, there's no eyepiece that's been made. That's that poor. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's frustrating too. You drop yeah. that kind of money on some optics and, you know, the stars are, are like little, not, not comets, but you know what I mean? They, yeah, yeah they're, they're not they're, around they're anymore. Linear. They're linear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think you and I, Brian, have some uh, similar binoculars, uh, the Canon 12 by 36 IS uh, binoculars. Is that something that you pull out on a, a regular basis? 
yeah, I mean, binoculars are, are great. You know, you can pull yeah. them out anytime. Yeah. And uh, the so mine are probably the Gen ones. I've had okay. them for maybe maybe ten years or so. And yeah, I mean, they're they're very nice. It it the uh, image stabilization is fantastic. They're not mm -hmm. too heavy, and the aperture combined with the extra kick uh, of twelve magnification, you know, can really pull in some stuff. The darker the sky, the better, of course. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah, they're great. They're great. I've got my eye on some fifteen by fifties one of these days. I'll oh. need to write a few articles for Sky and Telescope to afford those. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not inexpensive. But our observing friend Mike uh, has the fifteen by fifties, and yeah. it's always a treat when he pulls those out because the views are just stunning. Yeah, I think the little extra aperture would help. They are a little heavier, though, of course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've also got, um, I've got two pairs. I think you guys have talked about them before in the podcast, but one of them is the Vixen Constellation binoculars, the two point, oh, yeah. 2 .1 yes. power and 42 millimeter um, uh, objectives. Yeah, yeah. we made our own. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> right yeah, on. Go ahead. Tell, some, tell us about the Vixens, though. Some optics. Yeah, they're pretty good. And again, like, so... You know, I use them in the city where I'm probably limited by fourth magnitude, and that gets me down to like six and a half, which is nice. Mm -hmm. But if you take them in dark sky with the Milky Way, it's very, very nice. You know, uh, so a lot of people are surprised that there's a lot of aberrations when you look through these things, which there are, you know. But um, but if, if you look on axis and just um, don't look... Uh, towards the edge of the field of view is of much and so as much and just move the binoculars yeah along where you want to see it's it's pretty stunning you know mm -hmm. i mean they're what 300 bucks they're 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 worth keeping in your pocket and they're super small good for yeah. travel and so forth yeah yeah oh. they're they're fantastic the ones that chris and i made i think the first time we took them to grasslands i, I still remember this vividly it was a beautiful summer evening uh, I think we had set up telescopes, and then as it got dark, we pulled out our little constellation yeah. binos, and I don't think we looked through the telescopes that night. <laughs> we just sat with these little two-by-fifties or whatever yeah. they are, and, and we're just blown away by, like, the bionic vision is how we often refer to it, you know, because it's not, yeah. it's not like a substantial you know, magnification boost, but it's like, holy smokes, can I, you know, you see so much more with them. It, it's just incredible. Yep. Yeah, it's fantastic. Cool. And you you guys also have something in common. I don't know if you're going to mention this, Shane, but you guys are also solar observers. I'm not as much of a solar person. I'm more of an in-the-dark person. <laughs> yeah. That, that yeah. would be my preference. Uh, honest, I mean, this, I, I've never been a solar observer until about two months ago. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, I was listening again to the I go back to it once a year, the audio version of Seeing in the Dark by Timothy Ferris. Okay. And so he's starting his chapter on solar observing, and he starts with the statement that the sun is a star. And I thought, yeah, I think I learned that in grad school. <laughs> I've, never, I've never really thought about it, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's just something I'm waiting to go down. But here, like in Calgary, in Regina, too, I mean, there's six weeks where you don't get astronomical twilight. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even when it's dark, it's pretty short. And, yeah. you know, I've got to get up early in the morning and so forth. So I don't get much sleep. And so I thought, why don't I give solar observing a try? And it's completely awesome. Mm -hmm. So I had a solar wedge and that was fun. Um, but the um, the uh, RASC site here has a, a Lunt double stacked 60 millimeter solar telescope for rent. And uh, I tried that out and I was hooked, you know, both visually especially with a pair of bino viewers and also um, to take uh, images through it with a monochrome, a small inexpensive monochrome camera. It's a blast. Okay. It's a total blast. Yeah. I love solar astronomy. Yeah. It's super addicting. Um, I, I am constantly fascinated by the evolving sun and um, you know, one of my favorite things to do like on a day like today, you know, it's a, we record this podcast on Sundays. Uh, so on the weekend when I'm, you know, I'll wake up, I'll put the solar scopes out on the back patio, view for 10, 15 minutes, have coffee, maybe cut the grass, come back, see what's changed. And then I just sort of do this the whole day, you know, come back every hour or so and have another 10 or 15 minute look. And 
it's great. It's so much fun. I love it. Yeah, I, I do remember you mentioned that in a previous podcast. And so that, I did that yesterday, actually. Just I set it up in the morning because the seeing here is pretty good in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Seeing here. Seven, eight o'clock. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like almost like there's no atmosphere. So it's really easy to get a sharp image. Yep. And then as the scene gets a little rougher, uh, I take the camera out and plop it in eyepiece or binoculars and yeah, just see what's going on. And every day is different. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. What eyepieces do you like to use uh, for H-alpha observing? Um, so I, I've got a, a Lunt Zoom eyepiece mm -hmm. and um, it works surprisingly well. It's not, not cheap for what you get, but it's a pretty good eyepiece. Mm -hmm. And the Zoom is nice. So you can, you know, bring like for anything, you can bring it in and out as you as you like. But with the bino viewers, I use a pair of 20 millimeter Teleview Plossels. Oh, okay. So I guess only, if I'm not mistaken, four elements. And so a lot of expert solar observers say, you know, keep your eyepieces simple. You don't, you don't want to use a, a Delos or a, mm -hmm. um, you know, even a panoptic mm -hmm. for solar. You lose contrast and so forth. And hmm. yeah, I, I do see that a little bit. Like the plossels are pretty good. Same with lunar observing, right? I mean, you get great contrast. It's only a fifty millimeter, fifty degree uh, apparent field of view, but you know, you don't really care. So yeah, simple eyepieces are great, and especially since if you're observing in H alpha, it's one wavelength, so you don't have to worry about chromatic aberration. Mm, yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. I you know I've I've noticed. Uh, or I've had similar experiences uh, using like the pan optics compared to even like a Kellner eyepiece. Um, yeah. I just feel yeah. like these simple eyepieces, the difference between them is far more apparent when I'm doing H alpha observing than maybe any other, you know, form of observing. Um, so as such, yeah, if I'm out with the solar telescopes, it's uh, orthos or Kellners or even sometimes monocentrics, uh, you know, the, the simpler, the better it seems. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I find that too. Where do you find a Kellner eyepiece these days? Well, <laughs> I have a really... <laughs> you came to the right place. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I need counseling. And, if, you know, so I'm going to issue the warning that if you go down this rabbit hole, you you may need counseling too. But um, there, there's this website, uh, it's by EE. So just, you know, by EE.jp. And um, what it is is so in, in Japan, there's like Yahoo auctions. It's kind of like our similar to our eBay, I guess. Um, and they have a bunch of, uh, you know, hard to find, at least hard to find in North America uh, stuff, you know, eyepieces, telescopes, all of that kind of, uh, you know, gear. And, and by EE is like an interme intermediary where they do all of the translations uh, for whatever language and they take care of the shipping overseas and all of that sort of stuff. But um, they, they have, um, I don't have it with me to show you, but uh, a number of times there's this 20 millimeter Vixen Kellner that will pop up. And uh, I now have two of them for bino viewing, but that for, for my, um, I have a Lunt uh, 35 millimeter uh, telescope. It was one of oh, the yeah. first ones that they released. Yeah, it's fantastic, and that twenty millimeter Vixen is outstanding in that telescope. I I don't know why. It's just one of those eyepiece telescope combos that just works very well together. So, yeah. so anyway, uh, by EE is a great resource for stuff like that. If you're looking. okay, I'm going to make sure not to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would recommend that. <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, you don't need much glass. You don't need much field of view or color correction. It's uh, a whole new thing. The telescopes are a different story, mind you, but yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. cost-wise. Yeah, yeah, that that's the barrier, I think, for a lot of people that, you know, the like the, the telescopes you're talking about, the 60 millimeter double stack LUNTs, I'm guessing that's like $2,500 to $3,000 Canadian. I don't know if I'm out on that or not, but... Uh, I think double stack Canadian are probably closer to fifty five hundred. Fifty five hundred. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, that's um, that's a lot for a very specialized telescope. <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. Although to be fair, I mean, you know, I wouldn't have been out with a telescope at all in the last six weeks. Yep. 
but now I'm out three times a week looking at a star. It's great. Yeah. 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 The, the, uh, solar observing that I do is more than half of all of my observing for sure, just because of how accessible it is. It's, uh, it's super easy. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, the one thing about uh, solar observing that intrigues me is the, uh, the day star cork that, you know, it's that Mm. sort of digital thing that you can put on any diagonal for any telescope and turn it into an H alpha performer. Um, one of our guests in the past had, uh, has one and, and highly recommends it. So, um, I'm kind of intrigued because that's a, a little more of an economical way to get larger aperture H alpha, because I think those are in the 1500 to $2,000 range. So much, much less than a, a lunt. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some variability within the quarks. You might Is get there? a good one. You might not. Oh. So, you know, you can, if you're careful, evaluate them. And just make sure you get them from someplace you can return. You can return them. Okay. You know, you can see if you can tune through the H alpha line. You have to tune a quark with temperature and wait. I don't know five minutes for, for each time you change the temperature to a different setting. So with a quark, you want to make sure you can tune through the whole H alpha from one end to the other. If you only get the best tuning at one end of the temperature range, you probably don't want to keep it. And then you want to make sure, you know, there's a, a decent sweet spot where you can see the whole sun. Uh, you can see detail in, in the whole chromosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, it might change as you move it around the field of view, but if you're dead on the field of view, you want to make sure the entire disk uh, has features on it. In a, in a bad quark, for example, you would see half the sun would just look blank and the other half you'd see some chromospheric structure. Oh. So you can't evaluate them, but man, if you get a good one, they're great. Hmm. That's really good to know. I, I was not aware of any of that, Brian. So appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And they're also essentially, you get the same bandwidth as a single stack telescope, but single stack is pretty good for imaging. In fact, when I do solar imaging now, I, I leave the double stack off. Uh, you get more light and so forth and it's easier to tune, but the mm-hmm. double stack uh, is, is really fantastic for visual H alpha solar observing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, Shane, do you want me to uh, forge ahead with some of our other topics yeah, wh- here? Yeah. Why don't you? Yeah. So, you know what, just as I'm, I'm listening, I'm not much of a solar observer, but you know, what, what I found interesting in some of the stuff you were saying, uh, Brian, just, just sort of in relation to uh, other material is uh, you, you kind of give a pretty honest review of things like about, you know, uh, the, the quark telescope and, and uh, you know, some of the benefits and, and uh, detractions of some of the other year. I would love to see reviews by you and Sky and Telescope oh. of, <laughs> of things. I think that would be great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't like writing reviews too much because... Um, the, the amateur astronomy crowd is a, a pretty discerning lot, right? And they, yeah. there's a lot of technical expertise out there. Yeah. And so, you know, people, they're going to nitpick at, at what you might write, and you got to make sure all the facts are right, and you got to make sure there's tons of facts. It's it's kind of, it's hair, uh, very stressful to write here. <laughs> and, you know, guys like Alan Dyer, they've been doing it forever, and they're yeah. really good. So, yeah. 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 No, it's, it's tough to do. And the one thing like Shane and I have noticed, especially in doing this podcast, is we try to sometimes pick up uh, especially used pieces of gear that we've seen uh, numerous positive comments on, um, you know, just, just to try out and to kind of give people our impression. And uh, we're, we're not even surprised anymore. You can, you can find eyepieces out there that universally have positive reviews over, you know, decades and and we've gotten uh, that eyepiece in our hands, for example, and uh, we didn't like it. <laughs> you know, it's, right, right. it's kind of it's so personal. It's like it's like shoes and and socks kind of thing. Yeah, very much. I mean, cameras too. I read lots of camera reviews, and it's the same thing. Greatest camera ever. Oh, I can't stand that camera. Like, <laughs> you know, good stuff. But uh, one thing you do have out in in Sky and Telescope and. You know, I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and and uh, and talking today because uh, the uh, the August edition of of Sky and Telescope should still be on the shelves, I, I think. And you've uh, got a really nice article in there that, that caught my attention anyway on Taurus Poniatowski, or, or Taurus Poniatowski, as some of us might call it, uh, which is a defunct constellation. 
um, up on the right shoulder of Ophiuchus, which is well visible uh, these days. And uh, uh, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about uh, why you why you picked this defunct constellation uh, and this region of sky. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So when I was a kid and just uh, just learning the stars, I saw I saw this little collection. It looks like a little version of Taurus, really. It's got a head, you know, a little V-shaped head, and uh, you know, a couple of couple of little stars to the west of the head, I guess, adjacent to it. And it's just very striking. It caught my eye, and um, I wondered what it was, and you know, checked out the star maps, and it wasn't really anything. You know, Norton Star Atlas said it wasn't a separate constellation, and this is when I was nine years old, mind you. And yeah, you know, the HA rays find the constellations didn't say much about it. But I later learned um, that it, it was. This is when I was writing the first articles for for One Minute Astronomer. I think I learned it was a separate constellation at one time in the late eighteen late eighteenth uh, century. I think yep. named after um, a king of uh, Poland and Lithuania. Stanislaw Poniatowski and I think one of his you know court astronomers named it after him one of the few few constellations named after a, a political figure mm -hmm. and um, so yeah I mean that's interesting enough so that's that's what it was and it's like you said as part of Ophiuchus now but if you look at a star map especially a modern star map there's kind of a lot to see in and around mm -hmm. v-shaped group of stars you know, especially in a pair of binoculars or, or a small telescope. So this is a patch of sky that might be smaller than your hand held at, uh, at arm's length. And there's tons of stuff to see there. It's just adjacent to the summer Milky Way. So there's star clusters and so forth. But there's a planetary nebula. There's uh, some great double stars um, and even a galaxy. So, yeah, it's a nice part of sky to part of the sky to look at. So I thought I'd cook up an article based uh, based on that part of the sky, and so that's what's out in Sky and Telescope this month. A little tour. Yeah, of that. yeah, it's it's a nice article. I I really like it. Um, has a it has a beautiful outlay of sort of that um, depiction of uh, you know the allegorical figures, and uh, and then you go into that history and and you detail it out quite nicely, um, and then you go into some of my favorite objects. Um, you know, for example, you, you start off with Colander 359, um, which sounds so obscure, right? Most it's Colander 359. Have you ever looked at Colander 359? Well, I don't know. Like, you know, it just sounds like something that no one's ever going to see before. Um, but then, like, you go on and, and you describe what it looks like. It's And it's very accurate. Like, your descriptions are, are totally representative of what I've seen in these objects, which is... Um, you know, a really bright uh, four degree span of, of bright stars. Um, and like you were saying before, uh, some of this stuff looks better in binoculars and really small telescopes than they do in larger instruments. And this is one of those regions of sky that uh, that really looks this way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you could take this uh, whole area in, let's see. Yeah, it's probably five or six degrees wide. So yeah, a pair of seven by fifties, you'd see almost everything on on in this article. Uh, maybe shift a little bit to the right to see the uh, uh, a couple of clusters on to the east. But yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a nice little patch. And Colander 359 is not much to look at, but the professionals love it. I mean, they can see, they've used the, I mentioned in the article with the Canada-France-Hawaii telescope, 3.6 meter meter, 3.6 meter telescope. Yeah. They've looked at uh, 500 cluster members and done photometry on it to try to figure out the age of the, the cluster and you know whether it's still associated or whether it's a moving group now so yeah it's yeah. pretty cool the other thing i i like about the article is that is that you wrote about a defunct constellation and you know as as amateurs and you mentioned some of the professional science um which is really neat but as amateurs we're not we're not really doing any of that science and so just just the appreciation of the stars is really what we're after and, uh, and so oftentimes, you know, um, a lot of the time, whether it's just an asterism, like a grouping of stars that might be unrelated or a constellation that, that was once seen as a constellation that isn't, uh, isn't in like the Hubble guide star catalog or something like that often, often just get ignored. So um, I was just really thrilled to see somebody actually put, uh, put an article out on, on a constellation that doesn't exist anymore. With that as the main focus, I've seen other articles that will refer to Taurus Poniatowski, 
Um, but to see like a whole article just dedicated to something that that in one respect doesn't exist anymore. And it really is just about that that pure appreciation um, for a really nice grouping of stars that even a, a small child um, can go out and, uh, and kind of pick up as something interesting in the night sky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, this is an interesting way to observe, actually. So you pick a patch of sky and you pick a telescope, a small telescope especially, and then right away you're, you're constrained. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't have to worry about, holy man, what am I going to see in the sky tonight? There's thousands of things. What do I do? So you pick a patch of sky, you pick your telescope, and then you're, you're set. What can I see with that telescope? And if you really dig deep and get a good star map, there's tons of stuff to see in almost you know any 10-degree patch of sky, especially in the summer, along the summer Milky Way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a good way to observe. You know, it. I remember a writing lesson. You know, when I first learned how to write, you know, write about your hometown, for example. Oh, where do I even start? I don't know yeah. what to write about. Well, write about your your own street. Oh, I don't know what to write about. That's too much. It's too much. Write about your house, and you know, you just keep narrowing it down until you write about you know one brick on the wall. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. bang, you can write about all kinds of stuff. You know, yeah. if you're constrained, it focuses the mind better. So yeah. that's, that's why, partly why I organized this article around just a little patch of sky rather than, you know, doing all the open clusters of summer or something like that. Hmm. It's, a, it's a surprisingly good way to observe. That's, that's, a, that's outstanding. You know, I, I love that. I've never, I've never thought about small telescope observing in that regard, but yeah, that's makes a ton of sense. <laughs> there's yeah. there's times like with um, you know, I have a, a, a streaming subscription music service like many people do uh, have nowadays, yeah. and it's like, what should I listen to? Uh, everything. I, you know, like, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. Justin well, Bieber great. again, Shane. <laughs> well, <laughs> you have to narrow it down, Chris. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's how I started that the small scope summer article. I, I made reference to Ernest Rutherford, Nobel Prize winning physicist. And this quote always stuck with me. I must have heard it when I was a, a you know, a first a physics student in the previous century. But he had he was not he was in a, a lab that was not particularly well equipped. So he had to make a lot of his own equipment and, you know, he was competing against much better equipped labs. So he told his team, we don't, we haven't, we don't have the money, so we've got to think. And, mm. you know, it worked out for him. You know, he discovered the structure of the nucleus and all kinds of stuff. And so in my, in my first article on small telescopes, I, I kind of turned that around and s- said to people with a small telescope, we haven't got the aperture, so we have to think, what can we mm. see? What looks better than an 18 inch top because there's lots of advantages you know with a telescope that weighs eight pounds and you could just drag out on your in your backyard at five minutes mm. yeah absolutely i love that yeah i really like this 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 is really um like distilling out and make, making clear some of the philosophy that we've had in the show uh that this was not in our show notes though very <laughs> very good <laughs> These are the kind of straight paths we enjoy going down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's perfect. No, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, and, and just to kind of remind people, um, if they, if they want to see this, and I'm a subscriber to, uh, to Sky and Telescope as I am to Sky News. Um, and the thing that I really like about Sky and Telescope is um, they put those beautiful little finder charts. And I know they have like custom software um, yeah. that they use to create those yeah i wish i had that software yeah but but the great part is is that when we when we get a nice article like this you know um oftentimes you might read an article or somebody might write something online um but in this case you can you can just grab that article and take the find or take take it out under the night sky like my magazines just get trashed they're basically done by the end of the month and uh you know, and then actually work your way through those uh, those objects that that you highlight in uh, in the article, and uh, so I'm just a regular subscriber. I just pay full full price for a subscription, but uh, but I do think oftentimes um, people overlook the the benefits of getting that physical magazine and dragging it out um, with their little red flashlight and uh, you know in small scope or whatever size instrument you have. And actually uh, working through some of those things. Um, too many times, you know, we see people taking 
you know, the uh, planetarium software on a device. Um, and that, that can be fine for certain things, but uh, it's really nice to kind of get that little bit of a guided tour um, by, you know, by somebody like yourself, Brian, really appreciate that. Yeah, I do the same for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Have to ask, um, they did put NGC 6384 on there, that Galaxy. Did you ever take a look at that? <laughs> I've seen it once. I was, I, I was, I wasn't sure whether to include it in the article, but it's just, yeah. it's just so cool. There is a Galaxy in Ophiuchus, right? Because this is yeah. kind of an open cluster area. Yeah. I thought that I included, you know, just to have a, a Galaxy, but yeah, it's not much to look at. It's, it's, pretty it's absolutely yeah. beautiful in the Hubble Space Telescope, but yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> a, a ten-inch knob, it's a smudge for sure. Yeah, we, uh, my friend Mike and I hunted it down last last year. We we could see it in the twelve-inch, but I think it took us a couple of kicks at the can, and we had to go, get to a slightly different site and that kind yeah. of thing. It was worth hunting down, but uh, but yeah, I, I, but I I appreciate the fact that they put that in there. I thought that was kind of kind of neat for people that really want to uh, kind of push things for maybe if people do have a bigger instrument. So I kind of like, I kind of like that approach that they'll take when they're sort of fitting out the, uh, the finer charts. Anyway, it's a really nice finer chart that they paired with, uh, with your beautiful article. Yeah. Yeah. They do nice work. The art, the art department is fantastic at Sky and Telescope. Yeah. I wasn't sure that we're going to include the galaxy, the editor, cause I didn't really, you know, talk it up. Like it's not spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway so yeah yeah cool all right uh, well folks do we have anything else that we uh we missed or, or want to cover before we uh conclude nothing on my part no this was really uh this was awesome i really enjoyed the the conversation about uh well pretty much everything but in particular the uh the binoscope and and the solar observing was was great yeah no, this is uh this is fantastic i hope to run into you guys at grasslands one day we'll do yeah. something yeah. Love to have a look for your your 102 millimeter Takahashi's for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That would <laughs> yeah. be great. Yeah, be great to be great to have you come down and join us. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's not that far away for you now that uh, that you're sort of living on on uh, this part of the world. It's a lot closer than the Mojave Desert, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's dark. Yeah, good stuff. Well, thanks so much, Brian. Thanks for joining us today. Um, and just for our listeners, yeah, go, go and be sure. Check out CosmicPursuits.com. Uh, um, maybe Shane can uh, can tweet that out on our Twitter feed. Yep. And uh, and as well, you know, uh, check out Brian's recent article. Uh, and he's got some articles in Sky News Magazine here in Canada, Sky News Magazine. And uh, and as well, I think it's an excellent Sky and Telescope uh, magazine article. And uh, so I was really thrilled that uh, that we kind of connected just just as this uh, came out. It was sort of just just good good timing. And uh, really appreciate you being on the show today, Brian. Thanks so much. Oh, it was a great pleasure. A great pleasure, Chris and uh, Shane. Yeah. Uh, I wish and you guys clear skies for the rest of the summer. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so much. Same to you. And thanks, Shane. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, if you want, you can subscribe to uh, to our podcast and send us your observing emails to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>